You're listening to Amazing Discoveries Audio. This is Dragon's Realm, Episode 2, with Eric Wilson. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, each person that is here tonight, each person that is listening and watching, Father, they are here because you have called them. Father, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that he is coming soon to take us home. And Father, we thank you that you are preparing your people's hearts. We ask for your blessing tonight. We ask for your Holy Spirit And Father, we thank you and we do receive, for you have promised and you cannot lie. In the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you. Amen. Tonight is going to be a little bit different. I did a lot of thinking and um, I need to approach tonight's meeting a little different than we did last night. Last night we gave an introduction I wanted to to introduce some of the dangers in the martial arts, and I wanted to introduce things that that people are familiar with, like bowing to the sensei or to the instructor, and taking off your shoes, and why do we call a, you know certain instructors master when they reach a certain rank? What I want to share with you tonight, some of the the statements and the quotes that I'm going to give and that we're going to see together, um, they're startling. In giving this presentation, I have to tell you a little bit about my background before we start. And the reason why is because when I grew up and I was in the martial arts almost 25 years, I had many Christians, many pastors that would come to me and they would say, you shouldn't be doing this. It's not of God. You can't be a Christian and be a martial arts you know, practitioner or instructor. And I had people that would give me little pamphlets, you know, why karate is bad. And I would read them, and it didn't do anything. It didn't answer the questions that I had. What I needed was I needed to hear from somebody that had been through the experience that I had been through. I needed to hear from somebody that had been involved in the arts I had been involved with. And I needed the Holy Spirit to open my eyes and my ears to hear. So I'm going to share a little bit of my experience not in any bravado, not because of any pride. Um, I'm sharing this because I want you to know from where I'm speaking. I'm not telling you this because I read a good book. I'm telling you this from years of experience. I started in the martial arts when I was 20 or when I was 14 years old. And over the 24 and a half years of practice and of teaching that I did, I was awarded seven different black belts in seven different styles. The highest rank that I ever achieved was a fifth dawn or fifth degree in Kung Fu. Now, Kung Fu does not typically in China, they don't worry about degrees. But what they call that is they call that a disciple level. Um, The different arts that I studied, I studied a lot of Kung Fu. I studied Filipino Eskrima. I studied Kodokan Judo. I studied um, Aikido, which is a Japanese art. I studied Bakwa, Tai Chi, Chinese Qigong, traditional Chinese medicine. The deeper that I got into it, 
the more I wanted to understand how all of these arts were tied together. Because I could see little common denominators in each art. And I wanted to understand what is it that makes these arts work? What is it that, that gives them the power and the intrigue? And why is it such a, um, a seduction for people here in the West? Why are we so taken by the Chinese martial arts and the Japanese martial arts? Martial art, the word means the art of war. Martial or martial law, it's war. So when we take little Johnny and Susie to the karate studio or to the taekwondo studio or judo studio and we sign them up for martial arts, you're signing that child or that person up to learn the art of war. As a Christian, that should be the first thing that raises a red flag. Because the Bible tells us the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and casting down imaginations. So when we look at the martial arts, the art of war, we have to ask, why? Why are we training? Why are we being taught? Why are we being influenced to learn the art of war? Is there a battle that's coming in the last days that Satan, the dragon, wants to prepare mankind for? There are two kingdoms that are battling in the world for the hearts and the souls of men. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. We need to begin with the Scripture. We need to look to the Scriptures in Revelation chapter 12 as our foundation. Everything that we learn, we have to take to the Word of God. Revelation chapter 12 Verse 7 through 9. And there was war in heaven. Michael, the one who is as El or Elohim, Michael, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out unto the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. When we realize that this battle that took place more than 6,000 years ago, this was a battle between light and darkness. It was a battle between truth and error. That was the battle between Satan, between the dragon and Christ. When we look at this and we realize that there's a battle going on, we know from God's Word what His side is. We know what His stance is. We know what His character is. We know what His purpose is. We have to look to the martial arts to find out what the dragon's purpose is. Now this is a quote that you're seeing here from the Shaolin Grandmaster's text. This is a renowned work by original Shaolin grandmasters that escaped from China many years ago. In this book, listen to what they say. The spirit of the dragon dwells deep inside each of us, waiting to reveal itself to those who would have it come out. I bought this book because the grandmaster that I was training under told me I needed to read it. 
I had been in the martial arts for more than 20 years, and he took me to the side one day and he said, this is a book you need to get. And when I got home and I began reading, I began understanding why he encouraged me to get this book. This book told the spiritual purposes, the spiritual secrets of what was behind the things that we did. I'll give you an example of one of those things. In martial arts, they do something in all styles called kata or forms. You'll see people in karate where they'll do a block and then they punch and then they'll do a kick and they have to do certain stepping patterns and motions. Um, A lot of times, you know, after training in the martial arts, you go, I would never do this in a fight. Why Why am I blocking like this? I would never do that in a fight. Why do they have me do these positions? Why do I have to stand with my toes like this and my hips tucked in? What is the purpose for this? I would never do this in a fight. The last grandmaster I trained under, when he gave this book to me, he began to teach me the purpose behind those motions. Each kata, each form that we did, if you look at it from the ground, it just looks like a bunch of movements. But if you look at it from overhead, you see a pattern drawn on the ground, almost like a crop circle. You know, when a farmer runs out into his field and he's got a crop circle there, it just looks like somebody made a mess of his corn or his wheat. But if you look at it from above, often you'll see a pattern there that is highly pagan and occultic. Those symbols in the original forms in martial arts, those symbols are known as talismans. They are a a, a mark that is placed in that dojo or that school or that you are forming wherever you are doing that, that kata. They are a mark that says, I'm doing this in honor of the pagan gods, of the Hindu, the Buddhist, and Taoist gods. And I'm asking for their empowerment in this art that I'm practicing. The Scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And then Ephesians chapter 2 also tells us, wherein in time past ye walked according to the prince of the powers of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. When I look this verse up in a concordance, do you see the word there? The prince of the powers of the air. The word air in the Greek means to breathe, to blow air. Isn't it amazing that in all martial arts they teach you to do deep breathing and meditation? Yoga teaches you to do deep breathing and meditation. Qigong, Reiki, Bagua, Tai Chi... All of those arts are based upon proper execution of breathing and breathing techniques. That is why. is because the devil knows that through those breathing techniques, we can bring the body to an altered state of consciousness. It's almost a a form of self-hypnosis. By doing that deep breathing and focusing on a number or on certain words, a, a mantra, saying certain words over and over again, the mind is actually hypnotized. So then once the instructor comes to the student and he's been there for 20 or 30 minutes doing this deep breathing exercises, when the instructor comes to them and tells them, this is what I want you to do, or they instruct them on a certain principle in the martial arts, the doorway of their mind is open. 
All of their guard has been dropped through this exercise. When we look back and we realize after Satan had fallen, after he had been cast out of heaven, read what it says in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 through 14. It says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? I put the word star in there because it says he's the son of the morning. Do you remember when Job said, I remember a day when all the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord? The angels were called the sons of God. Who was it that created the angels? It was Christ Jesus. The scripture says all things were created by him and for him. So when it says that Lucifer was the son of the morning, when you look up that word morning, the word is literally the day spring or day star. And I put some references here. 2 Peter 1.19, Luke 1.78, Malachi 4.2. Those verses will show you that Lucifer was not the bright and, and morning star. He was the sun of the morning star. How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. If you look at that verse and you take a highlighter in your Bible, one thing stands out that's repeated over and over and over again. I will. I will ascend. I will exalt myself. This is the principle and this is the character of that great dragon. This is the character of Satan, the accuser, to exalt self. And so that everyone that trains in his arts or practices his ways, you will see the same thing. Whether it's Hollywood, whether it's competitive sports, whether it's business or the corporate world, and whether it's martial arts. I was speaking with someone today and they said that to me. They said, the first thing that you see in a martial artist, even a child, is you'll see pride begin to grow. The one thing that the Scripture says God hates above everything else, pride. Pride cometh before a fall. Lucifer was cast out of heaven because of pride. And yet when we train in the martial arts, that's the one thing that we're building stronger than any other. Matthew 23, verse 1 and 12. Then spake Jesus, Yeshua, to the multitude and to His disciples, saying, Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, but he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Right there again we see two opposite kingdoms. The kingdom of light, which is based on humility and self-sacrifice, and the kingdom of darkness, which is based on self-exaltation and pride, independence. In Revelation chapter 3, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 2, verse 6 through 15, the Lord speaks to us here about a group of people that were influencing the early church, the apostolic church. And he called these people the Nicolaitans or Nicolaitans. 
Those people, the Nicolaitans, you can do a lot of research and you can find different Bible scholars that will give you um, definitions for what that means. According to what I have found, this is the common definition. According to many Bible scholars, they were a heretical Gnostic sect. Gnosticism took everything in the Bible and turned it upside down. They made black white and white black. They turned everything upside down. Lucifer became the good God and Jehovah became the bad God. So when we look at this, it says they were a heretical Gnostic sect which had infiltrated the early Christian church. They believed and taught that God's grace was so great that it had done away with His law and requirements of righteousness. They advocated a form of cheap grace. Are we seeing that today? Which permitted fornication as well as sensuality. Now I want to stop there for a moment. Oftentimes Christians will think of fornication and they think of an unlawful or illicit sexual act. But do you know that the Bible speaks of Esau and said he was a fornicator? And when I looked that up, I was praying. I was like, Father, why does it call Esau a fornicator? Do you know why? Because he sold his eternal inheritance for a moment's pleasure, for a bowl of food. How many Christians are doing that today? It may not be sexual sin. How many are selling eternity for something that only lasts a moment? I was talking to my children one day after, after I had been asking the Lord and He had been revealing this to me. And I said, have you ever considered something? I said, what is the thing that you love to eat more than any other? If you think about it right now, I mean, you can almost taste it. Your mouth will water. If you can remember the taste of that food that you like so much, how long does the taste last? You chew it up, maybe for a minute, and then you swallow it and all the pleasure's gone. It's sweet in the mouth and it's bitter in the belly. Do you understand? That's what God is warning His people of. Don't cast away eternity for a moment's pleasure. They advocated a form of cheap grace which permitted fornication and sensuality at the expense of God's justice, His righteousness, and the blood of Christ. However... When you do some research into this word, into the Greek language, you'll find something in the root words that reveal more than I imagined. It comes from two words. Nicolaitan comes from two words. Nikos and Laos. Nikolaos. Nicholas. Saint Nicholas. I don't know if that is attached, but it's an interesting concept. Nikos. It means to conquer to have victory, to rule over, to triumph, to have dominion. Laos is the laity, the common people. The Nicolaitans were ones that had come into the church that wanted to be the head. The, the same thing that Christ warned His disciples of. He said, when you're invited to a feast, don't set yourself in the chief position. Take the lowest position. Because if you set yourself up high and the master of the feast comes and He says... This, this spot was saved for somebody else. You're going to be embarrassed. You'll be humiliated as He tells you to go and sit somewhere else. But if you take the lowest seat and the head man of the house comes to you and says, why are you sitting here? Come up front. I want you to sit higher. Then you have honor. In the martial arts, they do the same thing. 
You'll see people in the martial arts, they keep wanting to progress higher, higher, and higher. And when I was in the martial arts, I remember the first night I walked into my class, there were a large majority of the students. There was probably 60 people in the class that night. And the majority of them had white belts on, or maybe a yellow, you know, or an orange. But then up front, facing all of us students, there were what was known as the high ranks, the higher level students. They were green belts and brown belts and black belts. And then there was the grandmaster. Those people were over us. They were conquering and having dominion over the laity. The picture that you see here is a picture of Rome. And you see the same thing happening as, it, as what is in the martial arts, as what's in our universities, as what's in our corporate world. You see them bowing with their faces to the floor before a man. Do we not see the same thing in the martial arts? The picture on the left are Buddhist priests worshiping at a, a shrine. The picture on the right are men and women and children from across the world folding their hands and worshiping before the abbot, the grand master at the Shaolin Temple in China. And you think about this and you think, why are these Europeans... I've got pictures of, of children, little children that were there that day, and they are praying to this man, only they say it's not religious. They're asking for his blessing. They're asking for him to share his spirit and his power with them. The word Nikos is where we get the word Nike. This was stunning to me. The word Nike is actually the name of a Greek goddess, the goddess of victory. So when we see this in our corporate world, in our athletic world, you understand, um, even with the, the advertising that's being you know, promoted right now, you see men being lifted as though they were gods. This is a common advertisement for a martial arts class. If you open up your yellow pages when you get home, you'll probably find between 3 to 30 different advertisements for martial arts classes. Go through there and look and see what the number one things are that they advertise. Self-confidence, self-discipline, courage, honor, self-control, self-defense. The one thing that stands out above everything else is the same thing that we read about Lucifer, self where in the Scripture are we told to have self-confidence? The Scripture says we can have assurance in Christ. We can have confidence in Christ. If I'm going to glory, I will glory in Christ, not in myself. What about self-discipline? That's a good thing, but that comes under spiritual gifts. It's called temperance. That's a gift from the Lord that we can ask for and thank Him for. Father, I thank You for giving me control over my appetite, for giving me control over my temper. That's not something we can do of ourselves. It's a gift from our Father. What about self-defense? We talked about that a little bit last night. I want to share a story with you. A few years ago, um, my mom's husband came to me. He's a devout Christian, devout Christian man, an elder in the church. And he asked me a question. He knew I'd been out of the martial arts since 2007. He said, Eric, he said, 
I know you're out of the martial arts. He said, I know the Lord brought you out. He said, but I want to ask you something. He said, if somebody broke into your house tonight, honestly, if somebody broke into your house tonight and you were worried about your wife and children, he said, you'd use the martial arts to defend them, wouldn't you? And when he was asking the question, I mean, I already knew where this was going. And I started praying. Pray without ceasing. I said, Father, I need an answer. Because I don't need, I don't need to argue. I don't need to, to win a, a debate. I need an answer that will win his heart. Because I knew what was in my heart, what the Lord had shown me. And the Lord showed me something. It's Psalms 34, verse 7 and 8. I apologize I don't have that on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you. Psalm 34, verse 7 and 8. The Lord spoke this to me as this man was asking me this question. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear Him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, for blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. When the Lord spoke that in my mind, while I was talking to my mom's husband, my stepfather, a joy came over my heart. The Lord spoke in my mind and in my heart. He said, Eric, He said, do you believe my word? And I asked my stepfather that. I said, Wayne, I said, I know you believe the word of God. I said, do you believe that promise? If I believe that promise, then I can believe every other promise. He says right there, the angel of the Lord encamps around about them that fear Him. I fear God. I don't have to wonder if there are angels around my house. Do you know, a few months ago, we had a tornado that came about a mile from our house, a mile and a half from our house. Um, We don't normally get tornadoes. This is only the second time in my lifetime that we had one in my part of Tennessee where I live. And... My wife and my children, we all went downstairs, got you know, in a safe place. And I was down there, and the Lord spoke to me, and He said, it's okay, you don't have to worry now. And I told my wife, I said, it's okay. I said, Let's just, it's good. I said, it's gone. It's past us. And she said, how do you know? I said, I just know. I said, it's past us. And we got everybody upstairs, and, and I sent my, my children to bed. They're both in their teens. And my wife is getting in bed, and she was still worried. And she looked at me, and she said, Eric, she said, do you think we ought to bring the children downstairs? I said, why? And she said, just in case. If they were down here, I would feel safer. And I understand. I understand a a mother's love and her concern for our children. But the Lord spoke to me again and He said something. And I asked my wife as the Lord was speaking to me. I said, Sarah, I said, Would you let the children stay upstairs asleep if you and I saw a tornado coming? Would you and I run out and get into the car? Would you run out and get in the car knowing that both of our children are upstairs asleep? Would you drive away and leave them there? She said, of course not. I said, then what makes you think your Father in heaven would let us go to sleep and He wouldn't wake us up? What kind of God do we serve that He would not wake us up if there was a danger? I said, we don't have to worry. I said, I've asked the Lord. The Lord will wake me up if something's coming, if we have something to be afraid of. We can take God's Word literally. We can believe His promises. They cannot fail. 
Again, we look at the difference between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Then said Jesus unto His disciples, If any man will come after or follow Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. For whosoever will save his own life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for My sake shall find it. That's not just talking about if you get shot or if you get stabbed or if somebody tries to mug you. Losing your life is saying, not my will, but thy will be done. Losing my life means when there's two bananas left and one of them is really beaten up and the other one looks fresh, me giving the fresh one to the person that's there with me and me taking the beat up one. That's losing your life. Gichin Funakushi. This man is known as the founder and the father of modern-day karate. And he explains his art in this way. And this is shocking. It's beautiful, but listen to what he says. The purpose of martial arts competition is not in winning or losing, but in the perfection of the character of its participants. I cannot tell you how many dojos and martial arts schools I've been to and this is the first thing they'll show parents when they bring their children. It's not about winning or losing. We, d- we don't care about winning or losing. It's about the perfection of your character. What character are we developing? I want to show you the picture of this man's grandmaster's text. When someone makes master level, they have to write a thesis. It's like a doctorate. A master is like a Ph.D., When you make grandmaster, I don't even know what that would be called in the secular world. But as a grandmaster, you have to write a book. That's a a common way of initiation as a grandmaster. This is his book. The cover on that book. If you're able to zoom in on that and, and look at that character, he said in his other statement, that martial arts competition was to develop the character of its participants. But yet this is the cover of the book that he wrote. What character is he wanting to develop in our children, in our youth, in our adults? This troubled me because I owned the book. Before I came out of the martial arts, I had almost $2,000 worth of books and videos and, and everything I could find to help me understand and learn martial arts better. When I looked this up, it took some research, but I found the name of that statue that he put on his book. His name is Fudo Muyo. He is one of the twelve Buddhist gods of the Asian zodiac. That's the character that he's wanting to develop. That's who he worships. That's who he looks to for his inspiration in the art that he created. In the martial arts, I'm going to give you two Japanese terms. These terms are Budo and Bushido. You won't see those words in Chinese, even though they do have their equivalent. But in the Japanese arts, Budo means the martial way. Bu, Do. The martial or war, the path and way of. Bushido means the way of the warrior or the warrior spirit. If you can zoom in and look at the picture of that helmet on that samurai, if you do research on your own, you know, go on the internet, go through a book or encyclopedia, look at the pictures of the samurai helmets. Many of them at the forehead 
would have a symbol of the God that they were depending on or that they were worshiping or asking for protection in battle. The word doe means way. It's a way of life. In the film that we just completed with Little Light Studios called The Dragon Revealed, we showed many quotes from martial artists. We showed interviews with martial artists, some of them masters, some of them just high-level black belts. And all of them would tell you the same thing. Martial arts is not just a hobby. There's a difference between martial arts and soccer or martial arts and uh, football or basketball or hockey. Martial arts is a way of life. It influences the way that you think, the way that you believe. It influences the way that you treat people. It's meant to change your character. The word do means the way. The Chinese equivalent of that is Tao. What's amazing to me is, is that the word Tao is what the Chinese and the Hindu and the Japanese call God. That is what they call the overall, the almighty God, Tao, this force that permeates the universe. We have some common terms that you may be familiar with. Karate-do, judo, kendo, which is sword fighting, aikido, aiedo, Burmese bondo, harangdo from uh, Korea, tangsudo from Korea, taekwondo, the newest form from Korea, and jeet kundo, which was Bruce Lee's main art. I want to give you some quotes from some people that you'll be familiar with. Some people that were high level in the martial arts. Many people don't realize that Elvis Presley was a high level martial artist. I don't remember exactly what rank he achieved, but I know it was at least third or fourth degree. He was also heavily involved in the occult. There's many interviews that you can find online. Um, Good Fight Ministries has got an interview with some of the men that worked for him as bodyguards. He was highly involved in the occult. This is what he says. Martial arts is not just self-defense. It's about self-control, about body discipline and mind discipline and breath techniques. It involves yoga. It involves meditation. It's an art, not a sport. Martial arts only became a sport in the United States, where I'm from, during the 19, late 60s, early 70s. Before that, it was an art. It was not a sport. What's amazing is, is he says it involves yoga. Many people think yoga is just about stretching. That's not what yoga is. The word yoga literally means to yoke to or to join to the Hindu gods. So when Elvis Presley says it's about yoga, he says it's about being joined with spirits with pagan gods. Ma Soyama. This man was one of the greatest grandmasters within the last 150 years. This man had killed full-grown bulls with his bare hands. They would put him in a a ring with a full-grown bull, and he would use his hands to take its horns off. And then he would punch the bull in the heart and kill it. And they've got film footage of it. I mean, he really did it. That's not possible by a human being without a spirit being involved. Now we know in the scriptures, we know in the scriptures it talked about Samson. Samson had unbelievable strength. I mean, he killed men with a jawbone. He he carried the, the gates of a city on his shoulders for miles. But that was done by the spirit of the living God, not by Samson's own strength. 
in the martial arts, they train you until you make black belt to discipline the body. Up until black belt, it's all about the body. We've got to push the body. How many push-ups can you do? I remember when I started, you know, I could do 25 or 30 push-ups. You know, by the time I came out of the martial arts, we could do 200 without stopping. And you didn't even think about it. But you, you keep pushing. You punch and you kick and you train and you run. But no matter how many miles you run, you'll never be able to do 60 miles an hour. Right? A human being cannot run 60 miles an hour. A cheetah, he can do 70. But a human can't. Does it take more practice? There's no amount of practice that will do that. We weren't created to do that. The human hand was not designed to break block or blocks of ice or bricks or rocks or coconuts. I know when I was in the martial arts, we had men that would train what was called iron palm. And they would take a piece of uh, cinder block and they would set it there and they would put this liniment on their hands called ditajal. And they would put that liniment on and they would smack their hands for hours a day, continually smacking the hands, both, both sides. Then they would do a knife hand, a shuto. And they would do that hours a day. And after a few years, they would work up to where they were doing it on a piece of steel or a piece of iron. And I know one of the men that I trained with, he got to the point where he could take his hand and he could just shatter the, the cinder block. The human hand can't do that. The human hand cannot do that unless there is a spirit empowering that hand. And the person that's doing it may never have even known that they were yielding or asking for that spirit, but it's impossible without it. It's impossible to do these things without a spirit influencing you. Masoyama said, Although it is important to study and to train for skill and techniques, for the man who wishes to truly accomplish the way of Budo, it is more important, it is more important to make his whole life in training, and therefore not aiming for skill and strength alone, but also for spiritual attainment. This is a grand master. And he tells you right up front, the physical skill, that's fine, but the spiritual is what you really want. Once you've trained yourself well, your body and limbs will move automatically without any conscious effort. That sounds like possession. Your mind will not be overwhelmed by your physical movements. You won't be having to think about what you're doing. No opponent, not even the devil, will find an opportunity to attack you. You will employ techniques unconsciously without having to think. Do you want your children doing things without thinking first? Martial arts trains you to do that. And I'm going to give you an example. Many times young people, they'll come and they'll say, I want to, I want to learn how to defend myself. And... So they go into a studio or into a dojo and the instructor will have an opponent throw the same punch at them 150 times. So the punch comes, it's a left hook, and the student blocks. The punch comes, block, punch comes, block. Then they start training them to counter, block, counter. And they do this for hours every week, for hours every week. And then he goes to church and he hears the pastor or the Sabbath school teacher or the Sunday school teacher 
tell the, the young person, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. And he goes to school and somebody swings a left hook at him. What do you think he's going to do? Do you think he's going to turn the other cheek or do you think he's going to do what he's practiced for hours a week and block and counter? They want you to get to the place to where you react without thought. Once you have attained this state of mind, or what's known as the Japanese mushin, not a single doubt or hesitation will arise. Train yourself thoroughly and then forget about it. Throw away your mind. You will then follow the way without being aware of it. This is the mystery of Bushido. That's scary when you think about what he just said. That's scary. But at the higher level martial arts, I know after I reached black belt, everything that we did was training to attain this. To where you didn't have to think anymore. I, I did all those push-ups and it got to the point by the time I made black belt, I started teaching full time. And when I began teaching, I didn't have time to work out with the students. I just taught them. I watched them work out. I'd show them how to do something. But I didn't have to exercise like they were exercising. And one day I had a student, I was pushing him to be able to, to do more push-ups. I was like, come on, you can do this. And he didn't mean to, or he didn't think about it, but he, he came up with a, a question. He said, why don't, you, why don't you jump down here and do them? And I know what he was thinking. He was thinking, I don't ever see you working out. I mean, you're making me do this. Let me see if you can do it. First time I'd ever been questioned by a student. I dropped down and did them. I didn't even break a sweat. And I got up and then I remembered my grandmaster and I would see him come into the school and he never worked out like we did. He never had to push himself the way we did anymore. But yet he could still do miraculous, supposedly miraculous things. This is how. Because when the mind is thrown away, something else takes the position as the head. You go to the back seat and something else takes the driver's seat. And then you don't have to think anymore in a fight. Your hands move and you think it's miraculous. They tell you it's this energy called chi. Wow, I got in a fight and you know, I defeated three other black belts at one time. I didn't even have to think about it. They were throwing punches and my hands were going up and blocking. I didn't even have to look. That's impossible without spiritual involvement. The martial arts tell you that it's a way of life. Look at what the Lord says in Matthew 26 and in Proverbs chapter 14. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Jesus said, For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. I've had many people that have written to me or called me on the phone since I came out of the martial arts and we put the testimony online. And one of the first things that they will ask, especially if they go to church, one of the first things that they will ask is they'll say, yeah, but Jesus told the disciples to get a sword. Do you all remember that story? Jesus told the disciples, they were in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was after the Last Supper. And Jesus told the disciples, He said, when I sent you forth to preach... Did you take any uh, swords with you? Did you take any extra food? Did you have extra clothes? And they said, no, Lord. He said, did you lack anything? And they said, no, Lord. He said, but now I tell you, he that doesn't have a sword, sell your garment and buy one. 
And that used to trouble me because I was like, he told them not to do this. Why is he telling them to do it now? I mean, and if I look at it from a martial artist perspective, I think, okay, a martial artist. If Jesus was trying to instruct his disciples on self-defense, there was 11 disciples because Judas had already left to betray him. If Jesus was trying to instruct his disciples on self-defense, there's 11 disciples plus himself. He knows that a whole troop of soldiers armed are coming to get him. Why did he tell him to get two swords? He said, go get swords. And one of the men, obviously one of them was Peter, said, here's two swords. And Jesus said, it's enough. That's enough. If I was a martial artist and Jesus was teaching me self-defense and he said, guys, don't worry about it. There's two swords. That's enough. I would be worried. That means that two of you have a fighting chance. The other nine had better run. So I went back and I looked at this. What Jesus was actually telling the disciples was he knew their faith wasn't where it needed to be. He told them to pray with him lest they enter into temptation, into doubt into not believing His Word that He would take care of them and His Father in Heaven would take care of them. So Jesus told them because He wanted them to realize the futility of flesh. He said, get a sword. And they said, we've got two. He said, that's enough. That's all it's going to take for you guys to realize. And then when you look at the story, and this is something I always try to share with my brothers and sisters in Christ. When you look at that story, when the soldiers come rushing in, we had one man that was very uh, on fire for Christ. Peter steps forward and he whips out that sword and he slices the ear off from the high priest's servant. And what did Jesus do? Did he congratulate him for a good shot, a good blow? That was good sword work. I'm glad you had those training in martial arts. Jesus said, put away the sword. And he picked the ear up off of the ground and he put it back on the man's head. And I can guarantee you that we'll see that man in heaven. You know that that man, when he walked away that night, he had to have that image of Christ and the character of our Father burned into his memory. That's what Christ wants for his people. Because all they that live by the sword, that survive by the sword, will perish with the sword. The martial artists say, this is the way, the dough. But God's Word says in Psalm 119, verse 106 and 130, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Yea, the entrance of Thy Word giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. John 1.14 tells us, The Word, which is light, was made flesh. And He dwelt among us, and we beheld His character, the glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I encourage you to look up that word grace in the Greek. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Why do martial arts, why do they call it a way, a path? Why do they call the training of martial arts a way and a path? Because there's a goal. There's a point they want every student to reach. And that, that basic level is called a black belt. I remember when I made the first black belt, my instructor told me, he said, you've mastered the basics. 
Now it's time to start learning. And I was excited. I was like, it took me 14 years to make black belt in the Kung Fu system. We'd only had five black belts in over 30 years in that school. Only five. So now this grandmaster tells me, you've, you've mastered the basics, Eric. Now I want to start teaching you. And I thought, what does he mean I've mastered the basics? Now I understand. I had mastered this. I could do push-ups. I could run. I could kick. I could punch. But that wasn't what martial arts was about. In martial arts, when a student makes a black belt, they are given a special certificate. A special certificate. And that certificate, if it's a traditional school, a traditional style, it will have something stamped on it beside the grandmaster or instructor's name. It's called a seal. Have you ever thought about that in the Bible, why God says He's putting His seal on His people? In the martial arts, those masters will put a seal on that certificate. What that does is that binds you and joins you to that master or that grandmaster, to that instructor, so that the spirit that is influencing him, the spirit that is giving him his ability and his power, now has rights to have free access to you. Now that spirit can work through you because you become a disciple. This is a quote from a man that, uh, that trained heavily with one of the schools I learned from, a Kung Fu school in California. He says, Becoming a disciple forges a unique bond between you and the long line of ancestors. Have you ever thought about what the word familiar spirit could mean? It can mean familiar, like I'm used to this, I'm familiar with this spirit. It also can mean family, familiar spirit. A spirit that has been passed down for, for generations. Becoming a disciple forges a unique bond between you and the long line of ancestors who forged your tradition before you. It is a very special relationship between master and disciple, full of ritual and meaning. You become family. Discipleship is a more intimate relationship akin to marriage. Two people make bonding vows that will unite them into family forever. I did not know this when I made my black belt, but I remember at the ceremony, and you can see that on the video, and it's available online for free. The first disc we've put online um, for everybody so the whole world can see it. I remember sitting down there in a lotus position and my grandmaster sitting across from me, and there was a, a tea ceremony that we did. There was two cups... And there was one pot of tea, and he poured his cup first, and then he poured my cup, and then he drank and I drank. In the Bible, water stands for spirit. In a tea ceremony, it's the same way. The devil has counterfeited that. So when I drink from the same water that my master or grandmaster drank from, I'm drinking of his spirit. I'm partaking of the same spirit. He told me that night, he said, Eric, you don't understand this now, but you will one day. He said, what's going to happen tonight when you receive your black belt is more like a marriage than a ceremony. And it was years later that I found this statement by a high-level martial artist in Kung Fu. Myths or magic. Many of you have seen martial arts uh, demonstrations, breaking bricks, um, 
having boards you know, struck across the body. We used to do that in the school that I trained. We had something we called pain class. And you had to be a high-level student. That meant green belt or above, like a high rank, to get into that class. But what we would do is you would work yourself up sort of into a, an excited state, like a frenzy almost. We would face one another, my partner and I, and you always had somebody that was your rank, equal rank, and what he would do is he would smack me on the shoulder, and I would smack him on the shoulder. He'd smack me harder, and I'd smack him harder. And then he'd punch me in the stomach, and I'd punch him in the stomach. And I had to breathe out when he punched, and he breathed out when I punched. And then he used an open palm, and he would smack me on the face, and I would smack him on the face. And at brown belt level, um, it got very intense. The brown belts normally, they would smack each other lightly at first, and after a few moments, it would work up to where they were full blows. They wouldn't hit the ear, but it would be the face. And they would hit as hard as they could. And after going through this warm-up for, mon- for a few moments, your blood, your adrenaline, everything was just raging in your body. And then the instructor would bring out the board. And we had a board, uh, like a hickory or an oak board, about an inch thick. Usually it was about four inches, five inches wide. And they would come out and they would do strikes on the shoulders. Strikes on the legs. Strikes on the stomach. And you got two shots. The person that was holding the board, normally a higher level, like a black belt or advanced brown belt, they got two strikes on you and they would hit hard. I remember the first night that I went home, my legs were black and blue on both sides. And I couldn't tell my wife, we weren't allowed to tell the training that we went. We couldn't tell anybody the training we went through. So for four or five days, I did everything I could to not let my wife see what my legs looked like because she'd ask questions. You know, what person wouldn't, what parent wouldn't ask questions about what their, their son or their daughter or their spouse is doing at this martial arts school? But it got to the point when I made black belt that they could swing a two-by-four and it didn't even leave a bruise. Oftentimes, they would swing boards and the boards would shatter and there's no bruise on the arm at all. Not even a red mark. That's humanly impossible. You cannot swing a bat or a baseball bat or a a two-by-four and hit somebody in the arm and it not leave any mark or any evidence. What had happened is, is the spirits that were working inside of us was protecting the body. But what people don't tell you is, is that when you get older, or if you ever step out of the martial arts and those spirits leave, all of that stuff catches up. All of that stuff catches up. Myths or magic? This is a, a statement from a Krav Mag instructor. Many people will ask me about Krav Maga because they say it's an Israeli martial art. There's no spiritual influence. There's no spiritual um, dangers in this art. It's Israeli. I mean, they believe in Jehovah. Why would they have Eastern mysticism? Listen to what this instructor says. We live in two realms, two dimensions, the spiritual and the material. So to live an effective life, both aspects must be addressed. The spiritual contains the real power, but the natural is the trigger to release it. 
the two must work in harmony. Why do you think the devil knows that he needs to get inside men's hearts and women's hearts? Because spirits can't do things to other people. But if they get inside of somebody else, they can use our flesh to do something to somebody else. A lot of times people will come to me and they'll say, you know, well, what about self-defense? What about, um, you know, if I've got some, some mugger or some gangster, or I've got some drug addict, what do you think it is that's controlling that person that's wanting to attack? We've, we've read from Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So if you're having an argument with somebody, realize the argument's not with that person. It's with the spirit that's whispering in that person's ear or influencing their heart. If you're having an argument with your spouse, realize the argument is not with your spouse or with your child. It's the enemy that's whispering. And Jesus tells us he's a liar. He is a liar and the father of lies. Gichin Funakushi said, spiritual development is paramount. Technical skills are merely a means to the end. This statement is shocking. Earl Montague, he passed away a couple of years ago. He was a high-level martial arts and internal martial arts, Bagua, Kung Fu, and Tai Chi. He said, directly facing conflict, the boundary between religion and martial arts becomes even more unclear. The boundary between religion and martial arts becomes unclear. Remember what the word, uh, what the word yoga means, to join or union to the pagan gods. Masoyama said, always more vital to karate than techniques or strength is the spiritual element that lets you move and act with complete freedom. Another quote from a martial artist said, when an old man is able to defeat many attackers, how could it be due to his strength? You see some of the masters like uh, Moriah Ueshiba, the founder of Aikido, in his 80s, 80 years old, and he would have five or six black belts attack him at one time, and none of them could touch him. He would throw them like rag dolls all over the room. Oftentimes, when they would come to attack him, he would block and he would raise his hand and they would be thrown backward. He never even touched them. He would raise his hand and he said the energy, the chi or the ki that flowed out of his hand would pass into them and cause them to fall. The martial way does not start and end at the door of the training hall or dojo. It is a way of life in which every action in and out of the dojo is done in the context of warriorship. The true Budo aspirant devotes himself to a system of physical, mental, and spiritual discipline through which he attempts to elevate himself in search of perfection. Martial arts are legendary for the seemingly mystical powers they teach. You'll learn what forces warriors really command. And more importantly, you'll learn how to develop them yourself. This quote is not by the man that you see on the screen. The man on the screen is a master, a Shaolin master that opened a school in the United States, in New York. And you see the symbol behind him, the symbol that is empowering him. This is another quote from the man that said the perfection of character is the purpose for martial arts combat or competition. 
Gichin Funakushi said, You may train for a long time, but if you merely move your hands and feet and jump up and down like a puppet, learning karate is not very different from learning a dance. You will never have reached the heart of the matter. You will have failed to grasp the quintessence of karate do. When I read that statement, I thought, quintessence, that's not a word that we use commonly. Let me show you the definition from Webster's. Quintessence, the fifth and highest element in ancient and medieval philosophy that is said to permeate all nature. That sounds like Yoda in Star Wars. The force permeates all the universe. It says that it is said to permeate all nature and is the substance composing all celestial bodies. In physics, it is a hypothetical form of dark energy. What, what exactly is dark energy? Something you can't see. The fifth fundamental force, the fifth element. Have you ever heard about the elements? You remember an old uh, rock and roll group? Uh, what was the name of that? St- uh, wind, fire, wind, water. Yeah, earth, wind, and fire. That's right. So when you look at that, and you look at this symbol from the Chinese, they show you what those five symbols are. Earth, wind, water, and fire. The fifth element is spirit. Now I want to share something with you, and you can go on my website. I've got cards here that we can share with you so that you can look and you can do some more research for those that you love or for yourself. On the website, we actually show you this symbol. We go through all the symbols that are used in the martial arts. This is called a pentagram. The pentagram didn't come into witchcraft from witchcraft. It came into witchcraft from the Eastern arts. It came from Hinduism and Buddhism. The hexagram, the six-pointed star, didn't originate in Israel. It originated in the Far East with Buddhism and Hinduism. Those five points on that star represent five celestial bodies. They are the five primary planets in our solar system. And we know all the pagans worship the planets. Those are the five primary planets that they draw upon for their energy or for their power. By the ancient Greeks, it was this force, quintessence, which was thought to fill the universe and hold all things together. This is a picture of myself and the last grandmaster I trained under. I trained under two during those 24 years. I began training with this man after I had received discipleship under the other grandmaster. I wanted to learn more than what I felt I was was able to get at the school that I was at. This man taught me something. He began teaching me that martial arts was both scientific as well as spiritual. And he used the science to make me drop my guard. Number one, he knew I was a Christian. Um, He would often try to get me to train on, on Sabbath, on Saturdays, and I would refuse. And that really frustrated him. I didn't understand why then, but I do now. The Lord was holding on to me. With one little piece, He was holding on to me. But this master would try to get me to do certain things, and some of the things he would try to influence me with, uh, some of them were a little bit too far out there. Pendulum swinging, um, hypnosis. 
All of those things he taught were involved in the martial arts. Much of it was self-hypnosis. But he came to me one day and he told me something. He said, Eric, he said, in martial arts, when a student comes to martial arts and they're wanting to learn about energy, about chi or ki, or like the Hindus call it, prana, he said, to the beginning student, chi is just breath. It's just power. You, you gain that power through deep breathing. He said to the intermediate student, it becomes breath. It becomes a strength where you put your breath into your techniques. He said to the advanced student, he said, it's spirit. So it went from power to breath to spirit. It was all the same thing, but it was revealed in more clarity as the student progressed. One day he was training, he was training a black belt in another style. He taught Kung Fu. He was a grandmaster in two systems of Kung Fu, a tenth degree. And he had this black belt that came to him for a private class. And this black belt was taking some other style, not even the style that, that the grandmaster taught. But the grandmaster was teaching him. And after he got done with the class, I asked the grandmaster, I said, how are you teaching him when he doesn't even do our style? And he looked at me and he smiled and he said, Eric, he said, where did martial arts start? I said, Shaolin Temple. Everybody knows that. That's, that's where martial arts began, was at Shaolin Temple in China. He said, so Shaolin in China is where all martial arts began. He said, then why do we have Taekwondo and Judo and Aikido and Ishinru and Kung Fu and Hungar and Tai Chi? Why do we have all these different expressions of that one and same art? Now, if you're able to, zoom in on this picture. This picture traces all of the arts in a family tree back to the roots at Shaolin, there in the green. And if you look at the green at the Shaolin Temple, the one that brought martial arts to the Shaolin Temple was a man named Bodhidharma. Bodhidharma was a Hindu. He was a Hindu priest. And he came to China because he wanted to find out if they were teaching religion correctly. And he found that they weren't. And he wanted to have a reformation. He wanted to bring the people of, of China back to the true roots of the religion they were practicing. So he went to the Shaolin Temple because he heard it was a renowned temple um, for Buddhist philosophy and teaching. And when he got there, he found that the martial artists, or not the martial artists, the, he found that the monks there were weak. They had spent so much time meditating and reading and, and doing book work that they had no physical stamina or strength. So what he did was he went into a cave. And they say, legend says, he went into a cave and meditated for nine years. I don't believe that, but that's what the legends say. When he came out of the cave, he went back to Shaolin Temple and he taught them what he had been or what had been revealed to him. And what he taught them was the first set of forms, the 18 Lohan or 18 hands of Buddha. He taught them these motions to do and to incorporate these motions with their breathing techniques and with the Buddhist Hindu philosophy. 
What was this energy that he was teaching them? Where was this power? Is it something that comes from inside the human body? My first grandmaster was a professed Christian. I have no doubt that he loved the Lord, but he had been deceived on the role of the martial arts and the dangers. He always told us that chi energy was something God had given us. He said it's something inside the human body that we just have to tap into and use. And then he would give examples from the Bible, like Samson. Well, when you read the Scriptures, it tells us that Samson was empowered by the Spirit of the living God. When you read the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the miracles that were done in the book of Acts, miracles of healing, miracles of deliverance, miracles of salvation, healing the blind, laying hands on the sick, all of those miracles were done by that one and self-same Spirit, the Spirit of the living God. This spirit of chi, or this energy that the martial arts teach and yoga teaches and tai chi teaches, this energy is not from God. It is an energy from the other side, from the other kingdom. We're going to take a break for a few minutes. And I've got our contact information. If you're interested specifically on the spiritual dangers of Eastern mysticism and the martial arts, go to the second website. The first website, isaiaministries.wordpress.com, that website is our ministry website, which we have a lot of things there on freedom and on redemption and on righteousness by faith. The second one, secretdangersofthemartialarts.wordpress.com, that is a full article that goes into much more than what I could put into a series, even if we had 10 days to do it. So if you're interested, look there for the answers and... Feel free to send me an email if you have any questions. Let's close with prayer. Father in heaven, Jehovah God, Father, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for light from your Word. We thank you for your exceeding great and precious promises, which cannot fail. Father, thank you for bringing us here tonight. Thank you for opening our eyes so that we can see your glory and opening our ears so that we can hear your voice. We pray for each person that is here tonight and all those that are watching on satellite or on DVD. We pray, Father, that you will reveal your power and your great love for them. Father, we thank you for doing this. In Jesus' name, amen. If this episode impacted you, Please share it with others. Amazing Discoveries is a donor-supported ministry. To help us keep producing content like this, visit AmazingDiscoveries.org. And, as always, you can find the visual presentation of this episode on ADTV.watch.